Listener Production. Hi, I'm Jo Stanley and this is Best of You in the House of Wellness. With the help of mindfulness coach Emma Murray, this podcast teaches us how to shift our thoughts and control our emotions so that we can overcome life's daily challenges, the ones we expect and the ones we never saw coming. Is it possible to live with pain and still be your best self? Chronic physical pain can be depressing, exhausting, and at times completely overwhelming. And deep emotional pain, well, it can be so powerful, we feel it in the body too. In this episode, we speak with world BMX champion Caroline Buchanan, who nearly died in a road accident. And over a year later, she's still recovering from her horrific injuries. It's a shocking headline. But the real story is that a simple breath exercise actually saved her life. And since then, she's used a toolbox of mindfulness strategies to heal her body. Hi, Emma. Hi, Jo. Hi, Caroline. Hello. Thanks for having me. In a very brief nutshell, tell us what exactly you do as an athlete when you're doing BMX because it's a full-on sport. Um, We start basically off like a three-storey building. It's like eight and a half metres tall. Um, The first jump's about 12 metres. We go about 50 kilometres an hour. We're wearing a helmet, gloves, knee pads. Um, But yeah, when you hit the ground, it hurts. So Mm. fortunately enough, my biggest injuries have actually not come from riding a bike. They've come from outside uh, influences um, and one being my major accident in an off-road vehicle. But yeah, in terms of being on the bike, um, it's only been sort of fingers and broken shoulder and some other ligament issues. But for the most part, it's been outside. I've got to tell you, Caroline, you are so different to me. There's something about you that I don't have as far as that addiction to adrenaline. That's pretty extreme. Yeah, and it's more overcoming it is the really addictive part. It's surprising yourself with your ability and what you can handle and then coming out of it. And sometimes it's, you know, not hitting a tree on mountain biking or you've just surprised yourself with something you've just achieved or you've just hung on or whatever it is. So that can also be so much of the joys and pleasure. And that's one thing that really motivates me to continue is just surprising yourself. Like the human body has surprised me through these injuries of what what you can tolerate and also what mentally your pain levels can be once you shift your thoughts. Um, and it was one, the whole accident for me being able to control my emotions, control my breathing. And from what I learned as an elite athlete in practice at Olympic games and channeling that to win world titles to then channel, channeling that to save my life. So before we get to your major accident, you did turn to mindfulness off the back of some pretty low moments for you around the Olympics, yeah? Yeah, so for me, um, growing up, I went through the natural progression of Canberra-born athletes started in the ACT Academy of Sport Development through to the Australian Institute of Sport from state level to started winning national titles to I went to my first world championship event in Paris when I was nine years old. So I really started quite early, um, went through to winning world championships uh, and then came into my first Olympic Games. I was 20 years old and that was in London, came in as the world champion, ticked every box coming through and wasn't really mentally ready to handle the pressures of it and to control 
my own emotions and just be aware of my own thoughts and, and what I was doing on the day. So just being not mindfully aware, that was really what derailed me and stopped me from just allowing the process um, to happen. And from that, it really sparked this fire within me to to challenge myself mentally and go seek out some help. Can you take us back then to the accident we're talking about and explain what happened to you, Caroline? Yeah, so um, right before New Year's Eve 2017, roughly, I was in an off-road vehicle on a friend's property and, yeah, a friend was driving and it was a sort of side-by-side buggy, no seatbelt, no helmet, um, typical recipe for disaster and we're just cruising back to the campsite and before you know it, accidents happen and, yeah, she hit a stump, we hit some trees, went down an embankment, rolled the buggy, she went underneath it, it missed her, she kind of got knocked out, fell out. And then as I went, it was that natural instinct to everything went slow-mo. I was fortunate I didn't I didn't hit my head in the accident. So I remained conscious and mindful through it all. And um, I was able to know, you know, I, I couldn't really hold onto the roll cage. I'd known not to put my hands out of the vehicle, but I had nothing to hold on to. So as I sort of dropped to the ground, dropped to my back, which is that natural, you know, instinct we get as a baby to fall to your back and sort of see where you are. I fell to my back, saw where I was, saw the roll cage, grabbed it and bench pressed it as the vehicle went over me. Um, and as it went over me, it basically, the roll cage and the weight of vehicle crushed my sternum. And then the sternum bones as they snapped, uh, punctured my heart wall and then also double punctured and collapsed both my lungs. Um, and then the lights on top of the vehicle broke my nose. So yeah, there's a lot of intense pain instantly. Um, I didn't know what had happened, but it was this strange feeling that my whole body was swelling. I think that's the only way that I could explain it was I couldn't get air and the small, like little grain size, like molecule of air that I could actually get through my nostrils I could just track it down into my lungs, um, but it was just this feeling that my whole body was like puffing. We're on a rural property. We're out about 45 minutes from Cooma. We had no cell service. This was in New South Wales. So we had to get from there basically to the hospital. And I'd probably say 20 minutes in was the moment that I was like, what's inside my chest? And my, my brain sort of went, lungs, heart, liver, kidneys, like, and I thought it was a real, I don't, wouldn't say it was a, a conscious thing, but it was a real like natural body instinct to go, I just need to remain calm. Like this is all I can do. And if I have bleeding, like maintain the bleeding, like let's not make this situation any worse. And luckily my friend, who's also a crazy avid mountain biker, had punctured one of his lungs before, but hadn't collapsed it he sort of saw the signs and knew that I couldn't breathe. So fortunately he did a 45 minute guided meditation breathing virtually for me from the property to Cooma hospital. And all he did was he just like held my head and anytime pain sort of went too high, he was just going in one, two, out one, two. And as I sort of started spiraling and thinking like, how far away are we? What's going wrong? Like I can't breathe. He'd just be like, no, in one, two, out one, two. And I said to my friend, I was like, you know, I'm not prepared to die. I've got so much to live for. And he's like, back, 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 like one, two, one, two. And we sort of like stuck with it. When I really did focus on those breaths, it took away the pain and I forgot how far we were from the hospital. So got to the um, rural hospital and they weren't a trauma 
uh, sent us. So they actually couldn't lung drain me there. It was sort of close to New Year's, so there like wasn't an ambulance around and, yeah, it was a bit chaotic. So we waited for an ambulance to come back from Canberra and then I got transferred through. So the whole process until I got to Canberra Hospital was about four and a half hours. And that was, yeah, like lots of painkillers. I had this broken sternum. They'd put a neck brace on me and that was pressing on my sternum. So I was trying to breathe. Um, they had the bag. They were breathing for me. But virtually this whole time, um, all I was focusing really was it was almost like a needle, like a pin, mm. and I would track it, go through my nostrils, down into my lungs, and then I'd feel it, and then it would go back up out of my lungs and back out my nostrils. And it was that really like fine attention to detail of the tiniest little bit of breath that I got that allowed me to to not panic and and to just control what was going on. So what what is happening there, Em? There's so much that I'm hearing. Firstly, an understanding that you, you know you have to focus on something, yeah, and that breath is crucial to that. But what it, what was Caroline doing as far as the processes that her body was going through? Well, she was. Being amazing, that is what she was doing. an extraordinary story? Um, And her friend was being amazing as well. Mm. Um, So the science effectively of what was going on was that when we have, we we only have one focus, we've spoken about that before, and in a situation like that where your focus wants to go to is, you know, I don't want to die, what if I die, I've got so much to live for and um, when we go into those thoughts, they're very, you know, our our mind as we've spoken about is designed for survival. So they're very um, stressful. They're threatening our survival when we're saying to ourselves that we don't want to die and our mind doesn't know the difference between reality and imagined and so... We, it starts to, the, the stress levels intensify. Mm. And when the stress levels intensify, our physiology changes. So, you know, we get tenser and tighter and we breathe more shallow. And, and so had Caroline gone into that state, she would have found it even more difficult to breathe. Her heart rate would have increased. Mm. Everything would have been, um, you know, the blood would have increased in in its blood rate moving around the body. So everything would have made it more difficult for her. But by staying focused the way she did on her breath, in staying focused, it did two things. So it, one, kept her attention off the pain, so the stress level didn't rise. So the stress of I'm going to die didn't rise. And the other thing it did was it regulated her heart rate as best as you could in that situation. And so it sent a message to the brain that everything's okay, I'm doing okay, I'm safe, everything's all right, to the best that she could. Mm. And it stopped that, you know, fight and flight kicking in. It's interesting, you do see people often in that trauma going very calm. It is part of our survival instinct to know that the best thing to do right now is to go calm. Uh But that feeling of, did you feel like you were suffocating or drowning? I definitely felt like... Yeah, I couldn't breathe. It was a sense of more like, yeah, just swelling, very claustrophobic. Like I I didn't remember who was in the ambulance with me and my partner at the time who was in the ambulance. Um, but any time I did hear little updates, all my shift was was I just came back and I'd just tell myself I'm alive. So when a scan would come through and say she's broken her sternum, I'd go back to just, but I'm alive. Yeah. And it was the only way just to like really quickly not, 
think about, but how long does that take till I get back on the bike? And what about this? And what's that surgery? So yeah, I just remember it was all of the updates throughout those four hours to then being at the hospital when they, they lung drained me and I was still conscious for that. And the ketamine hadn't really worked or kicked in. So that whole process was a nightmare as well. And then once I was in ICU, those next five days, um, even the updates that were coming through then, it was the same thing. I'm alive, but it would, I don't, it's funny. It's like, it's almost easier to control your breathing and focus on one thing when you put into that trauma state. Um, It was easier to do that then than it is to like take 10 seconds and sit down and like, you know, block out work in the day and and what's going on. Yeah, so I was just about to say the similar thing. (laughs) In trauma, when our only focus is to survive, it is um, easier seems the wrong use of words. So I don't know exactly what to use, but it's like my job right here right now is just to survive. More instinctual perhaps. Perhaps, yeah. Yeah. More instinctual just to put your full focus on what I need to do right here to survive. And my question to you was going to be, do you find it harder now when it's more dealing with chronic pain? Yeah. What I had to do was go back to the real basics. I didn't want to be on medication and, and I went to a doctor and luckily he was really holistic and he said, you know, like this too shall pass. Um, but for me, just daily waking up before the sunrise, watching the sunrise, making sure my circadian rhythm was on track every single day that I was getting that melatonin so that I could, that I could, you know, be just in that general sleep pattern. Um, little things like that for me. I then for probably like the last like five years, I've been really consistent with it. And every day I do my three things that I'm grateful for. And every day it's got to be something different and it has to be something on that day. So I'm picking up my niece from um, her daycare this afternoon to take her to the BMX track. And I haven't been able to do that in the last four years because I've been traveling so much. So to wake up right out of that state where you've, you've just come out um, of being asleep. And I really found to shift that before any of um, the got to do's come into your mind. I always go, what are the three things I'm grateful for today? And I break it down. Um, that's been a really powerful tool to focus on. And I remember being in hospital and being grateful that, you know, <laughs> my dad brought me avocado toast and I didn't eat the hospital food. <laughs> so it, every day it's been um, something different. Things like that really sort of set the foundation for that day and and helped me through not only the surgeries, the complications of going back into surgery again. You know, what Caroline is describing is really simple little basic things that seem so little. You know, how can being grateful for three things really pull me out of such a level of pain and, and being so stuck? And And basically, every time we implement a tool. Now, maybe that is I wake up and I just use some breath work before I start in the morning, uh, before I get up and move in the morning. In that moment, we are shifting the energy of that moment. So typically every day that we wake up, that moment may be consumed by, oh, I'm in pain. I don't want to do this today. Why is this happening to me? What if I'm never out of pain? Those thoughts, they have a particular energy that energy makes us feel even more stuck. And that's how we're living. And when we stop and we take that moment to replace those thoughts with three things that I'm grateful for, and not just, I'm grateful that I've got fresh water and a roof over my head. Mm. 
actually connecting to the feeling and the energy of those three things that we're writing down. In that moment, I have different thoughts. Those thoughts send a different message to my body. My body responds differently to those thoughts and that energy and it shifts a little bit. Does the pain go away? No, but it shifts. And we start to see that we have control over shifting that moment and making that moment different to how it was yesterday and the day before and the day Mm. before. And that's how we start to step into a new energy and a different place. And so it may be starting with the three things you're grateful for or may start with a really simple breath practice where you download a, you know, you get a YouTube video on, you know, mindful breathing and you breathe with the the mm-hmm. YouTube video or you or you do it with an app what it means is in that moment that is different to that time yesterday where in that moment you were like I'm stuck in pain and mm-hmm. this feels terrible and I'm not going anywhere or it feels different to the moment before and when we can start just shifting some moments that's when we start shifting this Duckness. I know that's not a word, but um, and this stillness and the and this pain, and that's when we start to get change happening. Okay, so let's try and put together a little checklist for people who may be in pain right now, mm-hmm. or are tolerating a chronic illness, or have that sense of stuckness. And because, Carolyn, you're such a, an inspiration, I feel, as far as someone who's come through two years of nonstop setbacks, physically, emotionally, mentally, I'm imagining. Let's put together a checklist. Firstly, uh, Em, you spoke about that voice in your head that might be telling you, I'm going to give up, I can't keep going. What do we say to that voice? And did you experience it, Caroline, I wonder? Yeah, I, I definitely experienced it on and off for two years when it would you know, I thought I'd be healed and okay. And then, you know, next minute I'm hearing popping from my chest and it's a whole resurgery. Um, and I think as well, what the biggest challenge for me was, was I looked normal on the outside. You know, my, my chest was, was healing and snapped in half, but it was my, my sternum. And, you know, I constant, I wasn't walking around or in a wheelchair. Um, I didn't have a sling on my arm. So to go through really the, those two years where I was so fragile, couldn't drive for nine months of those two years, couldn't lift my arms with my head uh, for, you know, the first two months as well. So just daily task activities, washing my hair, like leaning over. Yeah, I was very fragile for a long time, but through all of it, having friendships that really keep you accountable. Even one thing I just implemented with a friend and it was just Snapchatting daily, those three things of gratitude and um, you know, just kind of the banter back and forth of being like they would keep you accountable and you would keep them accountable, but attaching to the feelings of it, that was a big thing for me. And I found shifting my awareness. So when I was in this, probably I'd say my darkest state of going through the resurgery at about six months in, I shifted my attention to projects and it was all about feeling and, and giving and there is so much human power to what can come back from that. So every single day um, I would, I had on my phone at the time and I remember because it was so mundane going to, you know, these constant MRIs and checkups and, you know, getting, I had lung drains, but then I had chest drains and then you name it. So I had this checklist and it was, I would give myself a little tick for any kind of connection that day. So whether it was, 
connecting on a deeper level to one of the nurses or asking her a question or if I help someone or someone help me. And I would just put like a little note each day. And I got that off a podcast that I listened to. And um, for me, like that was just, I noticed the biggest shift. I was wanting to go into these like antidepressants. I was couldn't, I didn't think that I could control my emotions at that point. And I just wanted something to really mask the feeling. Just, it was the athlete in me to go, I just need to get through these next six months and I can be on my bike. And, but that's not reality. So yeah, I, at the same time shifted even with my sponsors. I wrote two kids books. Um, I was able to do uh, lock in a partnership for the next six years with a naming rights partner, Rubik to, my girl's scholarship. So even just bringing in an extra $40,000 of support to know that that's going towards women in the industry and bringing up little girls like myself and connecting to the feeling of, of that within myself. Um, that was really like, I thought that it was crazy at the time that I would, I was taking note every day of these little things, but we're all human and we want to connect. And that was such a huge healing part for me. So there's a lot there, there on our is. checklist. <laughs> a lot there. But let me explain um, the science behind her checklist. And it was an amazing mm. checklist. Mm. Um, and your checklist, you know, the listeners' checklist mm. don't need to look exactly the same. But basically what we're trying to do is we're trying to, when we talk about being connected mm. and grateful and, um, you know, in that sort of energy and mindset, we're in a healing and rejuvenating. We have two systems, parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous system, Mm. and we can either be in one or the other. When we're in that fight and flight, we're in survival mode. We're not healing. And survival mode is, what if I don't get back on my bike? What if I'm never able to get to work again? What if I can't feed my family? What if this goes bad? When we're in those danger, danger, danger thoughts, we're in fight and flight mode. And in fight and flight mode, I'm getting prepared to fight a tiger. I'm flooding my body with all of these, um, you know, cortisol and adrenaline and my body, my muscles are tightening, my breath is short and irregular. So, when her bone is not healing, it's because I'm in that fight and flight mode. When I connect to someone else, when I um, am grateful, when I'm using my breath work, when I am up with the sun, all of these things, I go into healing mode, rejuvenation mode. And I know my work with um, athletes, particularly in the AFL, is when they are injured, straight away they go into the thoughts of, what if I don't play? What if I get dropped? What if I don't get make it back for finals? And they stay in that fight and flight mode and they don't heal as well as um, people who are bringing moments of their day. So they're not sitting the entire day because that's hard. Life puts us into fight and flight, but they're bringing deliberate moments in when they are shifting into that healing mode. So Mm. ticking when I'm connecting with someone, putting my full awareness on connecting with someone, putting, you know, taking some time to do some meditation or breath work or listen to a YouTube video around relaxation. When I'm deliberately choosing some moments to be healing moments, then my body is going to heal better. Does that replace our doctors and our physios and all of that? Mm. No, it just enhances that work. Um, So in terms of a checklist, we really want to make sure we're ticking off a couple of things. One, 
awareness is getting our awareness into right here, right now. What's going on for me right here, right now? What pain and long-term chronic pain does is it takes us into this place of um, I'm never going to be out of this. And yeah, this, like is, this is you know, me now. There's yeah, never going to be an yeah, answer to this. Yeah, and yeah. it's been going for so yeah. long that we're not actually in right here, right now. I am, you know, as Carolyn said, picking up my niece from gender. Yep. That's great. That's mm. a, a fantastic thing. And yes, the pain is there, but this is what I'm doing right here, right now. And my awareness is that I do have other things going on in my life and there are good things. So bringing your awareness into right here, right now, what am I doing in this moment? Not the pain, what am I doing? What's going on for me right here? So one is to get our awareness into the moment right here, right now. And the second most important thing, and this is what mindfulness brings when we're talking about pain, is we want to accept the pain. So acceptance. We're not trying to make the pain go away. Mm. We're not trying to get rid of it or fix it because particularly chronic pain, it is there. It's there for a reason. It's telling you that something is not right. Mm. But we can learn and by using mindfulness, we are becoming accepting of that pain. So it, it sounds a bit more like right here, right now, I am having a conversation with my son and the pain doesn't have to stop me from doing that. And and despite the pain, I can still enjoy this moment and I can still be present with him. So it's like we're acknowledging the pain is there and we're accepting that it's there, but it doesn't have to define this moment mm-hmm. and it doesn't have to stop me from doing what I want in this moment. So um, we want to have acceptance. We want to have awareness, then acceptance. And then the third thing is we want to shift. So we want to shift our attention from the pain and shift our attention to like what Carolyn was doing. Who can I connect with right now? Mm. Or who can I help right now? Or, wow, feel the sun on my face right now. That's a good thing. Or um, what am I grateful for right now? What do I have right now? So we want to have awareness right here, right now. This is what's actually going on for me. We want to use that breath and, and the language and the stories in our mind to have acceptance of the pain. And then we just want to shift our awareness onto something else other than the pain. We want mm. to shift, shift our attention onto particularly connecting with others, giving to others gratefulness. All of these things that put us into a non-dangerous, a non-stressful state, put us into that healing mode. And what I feel you're describing there is hope. I mean, you've yeah. broken down hope there, which is essentially I have other things I can do that make my life really wonderful despite the fact that I have to accept that I'm in pain. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what Caroline's experience has been um, with people saying you don't want to have false hope. I don't think there is such a... Hope is hope. No. There is no such thing <laughs> as false hope. And I know, Caroline, for yourself, I mean, you're looking at Tokyo, aren't you? That you're yeah. looking at the Olympic Games again now. That is the greatest expression <laughs> of hope I, the, I could imagine. Shift and yeah, the power of belief and hope for sure. Because for me, I spent definitely the first six months where I lost my goals. So um, a couple of things that really helped me with that shift. Um, so for me, not only the three things I'm grateful for in the morning, but at night it was actually a gratitude that hadn't even happened. So three things at night and I'd go to, to, to bed at night and it would be really calming for me. And it would be gratitude for things like I'm really grateful to compete at my third Olympic Games. It hadn't happened. But the feeling and sense of going, 
my body didn't know the difference. So, and really happy that my sternum had finally healed. I'm no longer in pain. Um, I get to ride my bike again. So yeah, that was really nice. And some nights I'd be like, why am I even doing this? But then I would just, I set that rule to myself and I stuck with it. And now I've just continued it. Cause I think, I think that in it's, that in itself was something that made me then put a huge, People talk about vision boards and goals, but I got this from Walmart in the States because I have a home base over there and it's roughly like eight foot wide. It covers the whole wall, three foot, three meters tall. Um, and it's this huge blackboard and it's imagery. So it's got all of the logos and events, Olympic rings, all these things that I want to do. I then have all of my content. So sponsors, videos that I want to do. Um, I didn't know the timeline of any of this, but I put it all up there and then I had more of my goals and, you know, like I, there was so much from just like, I can't wait to be able to sleep on my stomach again. Mm, like yeah. they went from that all the way through to, yeah. you know, racing again. But just to have that huge vision board in front of you every single day, um, that f- I recommend that to everyone. It doesn't need to be whole wall, um, <laughs> but uh, it could just be a little whiteboard. Um <laughs> I, with yeah. a, a number of my athletes, when they're injured, we have um, we write a set of affirmations that they read multiple times a day, and it's things like "my body knows how to heal," and in every each and every moment, my body is healing and getting stronger. Um, you know, I'm excited to play finals, and um, you know, play my best in finals, and you know each and every day is taking me closer to playing again. So Mm -hmm. what we're talking about again is in that moment, that moment can be a moment where I have the thoughts and the feeling and the energy and and, um, everything in my body is, this is bad, this is terrible, I'm never going to get out of it, why me? Mm. Or I can replace it with thoughts, images, dreams, goals that have completely different feeling thoughts, energy around it. And um, it's really understanding that I get to choose what I want to think and feel in this moment. The pain doesn't have to dictate that. Mm. The pain is there and yes, it sucks and it's bad and I wish it would go away, but I actually get to choose what I want to think about, what I want to imagine. And my body does not know the difference between real and imagined. So when Carolyn's going to bed going... I'm, I'm grateful for riding in the Olympics. It's just thinks that I'm riding in the Olympics yeah. <laughs> and it feels like that and uh, it acts accordingly. Okay, so it's time for our next mindfulness exercise that we can use to put what we've been talking about into action. We are not striving to have an amazing mindfulness practice. We are striving to have an amazing life and, you know, whatever tools that we use are better than not using any. So I wanted to share a tool today that is for any of us, but particularly those that are a little bit unsure and I don't have apps and I've never done anything like this. So um, anyone who wants to, is struggling with pain, I, I would like them to try and just YouTube, simply do a Google search for a relaxation meditation or meditation for pain or meditation for the breath, anything that doesn't have to be specific, YouTube something and try and find one that goes for about 10 to 15 minutes if you haven't done it before. Find a really nice place to lie down that you're not going to be disturbed and 
um, before you start the meditation, I want you to uh, close your eyes and imagine where the pain is in your body. And I want you to ask yourself, what colour is this pain? And it will come to your mind. It might be red, it might be black. And I want you to, whilst you have your eyes closed, ask yourself what colour the healthy cells and the healthy tissue around that pain is. And it will be a con contrasting colour. Don't Your mind will tell you what is right for you. Quite often it's blue or it's green or white. And I want you to imagine the pain as that um, colour and the healthy cells as the other colour as you put the relaxation meditation on. And just before you start the meditation, I want you to imagine somewhere near the pain there is like a plug and that you get to pull out the plug and you've just got a little drainage hole. And as you're doing the meditation and the breath work and you're starting to relax, that you're just slowly imagining that pain colour just dripping out, draining down this plug hole and that as it's draining down the plug hole, the healthy tissues and cell, the healthy colour is just replacing that space where the pain was, where the pain is dripping from. You don't have to get this right. You don't have to get this perfect. Will it make your pain go away? Maybe, who knows? Will it change it? Yes, it will definitely change it. It might dial it down a little bit. It might just shift in a particular way. Be curious about how this is going to change the pain. Don't go in with the expectation of it healing me. Go into the expectation of, I wonder how this is going to shift my discomfort, shift the, the pain that I am in. And if we go in with this expectation, uh, no expectation, just a curiosity and allow us to become relaxed, in that moment, it's a different moment for us. And it's simple. Most of us have YouTube. I would imagine. Yes, sure. <laughs> you don't your kids do? Or, you um, know, someone much younger than you that can yeah, get it. Yeah, yeah, ask you, ask you, one of your kids. Um, and, uh, yeah, so a lot of my footballers use this um, mm. and, and use this really well. And then when they've done it a few times, sometimes when the, the pain is really intense for them, maybe they're lying in bed or when they first wake up, they just close their eyes, they breathe, get their breath under control and they pull that plug out and wow. imagine it draining away. Caroline, thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Thank you. In our next episode, episode six, we'll be joined by AFL star Brandon Ellis. Brandon, to me, embodies the power of vulnerability. He's going to share with us how he stood before his teammates at Richmond Footy Club and shared some of the most painful parts of his life. And then we'll learn how that vulnerability formed the basis of his daily mindfulness practice that then got him through the lowest of lows in his career. That's next time on Best of You in the House of Wellness. Best of You in the House of Wellness was created and presented by me, Joe Stanley and Emma Murray. Produced by Alex Mitchell. Sound production by Matt Nikolic. For more episodes, head to houseofwellness.com.au or search Best of You in the House of Wellness. Listener.